This is Mortification of Spin from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We can only continue with your help. Visit mortificationofspin.org to make a donation or call 1-800-488-1888. How does God speak to us today? Carl, Amy, and Todd take Sarah Young's popular devotional, Jesus Calling, to task. In it, Young claims to need more than Scripture to hear from God. The Spin Doctors mortify the book as a product of modern individualism and offer a few alternatives. So keep listening, and be sure to visit our website for a free download. You are listening to The Mortification of Spin, the regular podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I am joined by Amy Bird, author of Housewife Theologian. Also, it's the name of her blog. Encourage you to go to that blog. And of course, Carl Truman, professor of church history um, at Westminster Theological Seminary. Actually, you, you hold a chair of church history. Carl. I do, and a very comfortable one. Yeah, you oh, sit yes. upon the Paul Woolley chair. I do. And, and that brings up all kinds of images, a Paul Woolley chair. But, um, <laughs> I, I know that you can't say anything because it's a family, and, and we need to be very careful with making fun of somebody's name. Um, that's why Carl is being conspicuously quiet the at this The chair point. is distinguished, but not Woolley with a small w. Right, right. Cap- I, I, capital Woolley. I do actually have a physical chair at Westminster when you, when you get a chair— you really do chair. get a chair? They also give you a captain's chair with the crest of the seminary and the title of the chair on it as well. So wow. in my living room back home, there is the Paul Woolley chair of church oh history, a physical chair. Okay, uh, Truman, uh, at this point now, the only thing I'm going to be able to think about is can you get me one of those? <laughs> If if you are distinguished and accomplished enough to be appointed to a chair at Westminster, we can we you can get fix a chair. It. Well, if they appointed you, well, but in addition to being a chair, um, you're also pastor, Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Ambler, Pennsylvania. And uh, what we try to do on Mortification of Spin is have casual conversation about things that count. Um, and uh, we're glad that you are listening in. Well, we want to. Um, because we love to be non-controversial on mortification of spin, and we love to talk about things that don't have any possibility of alienating anyone, we thought we would talk some about uh, the book Jesus Calling. Carl uh, has been reading it, I think, in his daily devotions, and uh, because he tends to be a very touchy-feely sort of uh, of guy. Um, so, Carl, I think I I don't want to take total credit, but I believe was I not the person who introduced you to Jesus Calling? You were. You recommended to me, and it's become uh, uh, a significant part of my journey uh, since that good. time. Is it is uh, it is it popular in your tribe? Uh, my my. Well, the funny thing is. It's actually more popular in my tribe than, than, than you I thought. anticipated. Carl, I, why are we talking about this today? Well, uh, a couple of Sundays ago, I was preaching, and uh, I won't say Jesus told me to say this for <laughs> reasons that will become obvious as we move through the podcast, but I was preaching on uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel and about the silence of the god Baal. 
And I raised the question, is our God silent? How does God, our God, the God Jehovah, speak to us today? And although it wasn't in my notes, I decided to to make a couple of uh, improvised remarks about the book Jesus Calling. This is a book written by uh, a lady called Sarah Young, and it's it's a daily devotional which purports to be a series of statements given to Ms. Young by the Lord Jesus himself that she wrote down for wider distribution and for devotional use, particularly, I think, uh, um, among women is, is her intention. And I made some critical remarks about this book, uh, not realizing, of course, that actual people within the congregation that day use this book for their personal devotions and have actually found it quite helpful. So I, I want to be careful at least how I introduce this. And uh, after I'd finished my sermon and was having my cup of coffee uh, in the lobby afterwards, uh, a couple of the ladies present came and approached me, not in a hostile manner at all, but said they'd used this book, they found it very helpful, and were interested in knowing uh, why I had such problems uh, with it. Uh, only once before I elicited such an immediate reaction from ladies in the congregation. Uh, last year I referred to Downton Abbey as uh, nothing more than a soap opera with accents. <laughs> and I think I had 12 ladies um, who were actually quite hostile uh, coming and approaching me after the sermon that morning. Uh, these, the two ladies who approached me after this morning, so this, uh, this sermon on, on Jesus Calling, were very gracious and just very curious about why I would have a problem uh, with this book. Now, there are numerous problems with the book, but I want to, to start by saying my first big problem with this book is what Ms. Young says about the book in her introduction, and that is that this book does consist of what one might describe as sweet nothings that Jesus has whispered into her ear and that she has written down for wider distribution uh, in the church. That is problematic on a, on a whole variety of fronts, mm-hmm. and I wonder if we might explore yeah. that today. Yeah, yeah. I I was very very disturbed when I first read the introduction of the book uh, a number of years ago, not long after it came out. Um, this idea of uh, Miss Young saying she had the Bible but she wanted more. She'd been inspired by um, a book called God Calling that had come out some years ago, written by three. Uh, kind of Catholic mystics who'd gone out. God spoke to them purportedly. They wrote down what he said, and her thought was, well, I should be able to do the same thing. And so she would go out in these these walks and, and write down what Jesus said. And how I've tried to help people understand this is that um, what, she, what, what Sarah Young is describing in her um, introduction and the process of writing this book uh, is perfect uh, description of, of what we would call special revelation or direct revelation from Jesus. And, um, and, and then there's great uh, inconsistency in her doctrine of revelation because while she says these are the words of Jesus that she's written down, they're not to be understood as authoritative or inerrant as Scripture is, which, of course, begs the question, why not? Um, so there's multiple problems there. Um, Amy, you've written a book called Housewife Theologian, um, which we do uh, recommend. And uh, you, you clearly have a strong desire to see women take 
responsibility for um, uh, increasing their knowledge of God's word and of the Lord and of becoming uh, more competent theologians. Um, I wonder if you would speak to to that issue um, in particular, Amy, how the church can help and encourage um, its women be more discerning so that when a book like this comes along, they can say, hmm, that's a faulty doctrine of how God speaks to us. Um, how, how can the church do a better job of, of, of inculcating discernment? Right, yeah. Um, well, one thing I think of is a pastor just instant messaged me yesterday, actually, about this very topic, and he said that um, he wondered if I had any good recommendations in place of Jesus Calling, because mm-hmm. I guess some women in his church were reading it, yeah. and he didn't want to just condemn the book right. without having something else Right. Um, that he could recommend to them. And, you know, I'm thinking in my head, I'm not a devotion type mm-hmm. of person. I prefer to read maybe commentaries right. instead in my so-called quiet time. Right. Which time's never really quiet for me in my house. <laughs> sure. But anyway, um, the first thing I really thought of was uh, the abridged version of John Owen's book, Communion with God. Mm-hmm. Because one thing that is positive that that women are trying to get out of this book, I believe, is a sense of communion Mm -hmm. with God. But um, there's not a lot of teaching in that book about the person of Jesus and about the work of Christ even. So if the bridge version of communion with God is um, laid out in a a very easy-to-read way, short chapters, and you get a lot of theological meat there, Mm -hmm. and it's um, something that that is very uplifting, but you also walk away with so many more wonderful questions that you could pursue in Scripture. Right. So I think uh, one thing is important to have something else to recommend. Right, right. Carl um, and, and Amy, obviously, too. Um, one of the things also that bothers me about the book Jesus Calling is, and I'll illustrate it this way, if, if a man wrote a book wanting to make Jesus a bit more, quote, maybe accessible to me and or, or to men in general. And, and he wrote from Jesus's perspective that made him sound kind of like a, um, uh, a, a cage fighter or a, um, uh, you know, a marksman or, or some sort of, you know, manly activity. And that's how Jesus, I would be offended by that. Mm-hmm. I, I would think this is very condescending. It's not very reverent. Um, it's making Jesus more into a product that I can consume. However, when I read Jesus calling, he sounds a lot like a middle-aged woman in the early 21st century. <laughs> and, and I, I wonder why that's not uh, offensive. Uh, when he, again, am I reading this into Jesus calling, but it seems to me it, 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 it reads just like something that a, a middle-aged woman in the early 21st century would write. Yeah, it does seem to be very bogged down in, in a kind of vacuous sentimentalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me read you a passage. This is from the, the devotion for January the 25th. Uh, let my love enfold you in the radiance of my glory. Sit still in the light of my presence and receive my peace. These quiet moments with me transcend time, accomplishing far more than you can imagine. Bring me the sacrifices of your time and watch to see how abundantly I bless you and your loved ones. 
I would say that that is an utterly meaningless mm-hmm. paragraph. Yeah. Uh, it sounds great. It's complete bilge. Yeah. I have no idea what, she, what no, she means by that. Every single one of those sentences depends upon a clear biblical doctrine, which is not actually stated anywhere in the book. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the big problem right. here. Now, one of the things the ladies in my church uh, pointed me to, which they found very helpful, is that at the bottom of the, uh, mm-hmm. the day's devotion, you're always pointed towards right. Scripture. And I think we have to say that's a good thing. If the book points you back towards God's Word. Uh, that's a great thing. But, of course, that's somewhat belied by uh, what uh, the author says at the start of uh, the book in the introduction, when she's actually talking about how this happened. Mm. Uh, and she says, uh, I, I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. Now, that's a, a very mystical mm-hmm. idea in and of itself. One wonders what motivates her for doing that. Well, if you look back a sentence or two before, you see this statement. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Right. Two comments one could make about that. One, that clearly strikes very much at the notion of the, the sufficiency of Scripture. Right. Very much. For this lady, the Bible is not enough. Right. She wants more. Uh, and secondly, when you then bring that forward to the, the meaningless paragraph that I read a couple of minutes ago, her problem is that when she writes this kind of bilge, the bilge can only receive meaning if it's connected to what the Bible has to say in the first mm-hmm. place. So I think she's caught on the horns of a real dilemma yeah. here. And underlying it is that uh, that grim 21st century Western desire uh, that I need more than other people because I am somehow special mm. and so unique. The Bible in and of itself isn't enough for me. Yeah. I need more. Yeah, And... Again, the the notion, because as it's been defended to me with some people, again, it's that, well, you know, there's scripture with each one. But the problem is, first, there's a page of commentary that is written in the first person from Jesus, and then a scripture reference at the bottom. And and I think that undermines, then, um, a person's ability to read well that following scripture particularly if they are believing that these are words of jesus setting up that text of scripture i i think it puts a veil over the eyes of of the reader yeah and as she goes on to say you know i have continued to receive personal messages mm-hmm. from god as i meditate on him uh how bizarre and unbiblical yeah. is that yeah let yeah. me bring up a more general question for you too um what responsibilities do you think pastors and elders have toward their congregation when it comes to the awareness of the latest Christian book releases or just the whole evangelical subculture? I, I, I think it's really good idea for pastors and elders as, as best as they can um, to be very aware of what people are reading. Um, particularly within their within their church, and that doesn't mean we have to see every movie, watch every television program, and read every book that they're consuming. In fact, in some cases, we need to avoid some of those things. However, we need to be aware of what it is. And when you have something like Jesus Calling that has been a huge bestseller, and in many ways ubiquitous in churches and outside of churches, um, 
pastors and, and elders need to be aware of this because their men and women are reading the, it, and it's not just women who are reading Jesus Calling, although no, it appeals primarily, but I've met several men mm-hmm. who, who love the book. And we need to be aware of that so that we can help them. We need to be aware of, of, of because it's meeting some sort of a perceived need in their mind. And going back to something you said earlier, you know, Amy, of, of, you know, are there things that we can recommend to them to help kind of help them avoid the, the less helpful stuff out there? But, but for that to happen, pastors and elders need to know, uh, be aware of the bad stuff and, and aware of the good stuff. I think we also need to be aware that many of the people in our churches, if we're doing our job well as churches, if we're reaching out, if we're we're drawing people into the church, many of the people in our churches will not be there because they are 100% committed to a a thoroughly reformed understanding of Mm -hmm. the faith. There are a variety of reasons why people are involved in the churches they're involved in. And that means that the pastor should not assume that you know, if it's not published by Banner of Truth, it isn't being read by a member of the congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, or PNR. Or, or PNR. Or PNR. <laughs> Quick plug for, for Amy's uh, publisher there. I think pastors need to realize that things that are patently obvious to us may not be patently obvious to members of the congregation. Mm-hmm. And while our time is limited, and you know, I don't, I don't want to be reading Eat, Pray, Love, if I can possibly help it, <laughs> or Eat, Pray, Love 2, whatever right. abomination mm-hmm. is coming down the pike well, and next. there's always going to be a, sure. another there's release. There's always going to be another yeah. one. I, I want to avoid wasting too much of my time mm-hmm. on that. It's good to be aware of the broad contours of the kind mm-hmm. of stuff that, that's out there. Uh, I think my, you know my experience on Sunday was also a salutary reminder to pastors that um, you know when you when you address this stuff in the pulpit, uh, don't and I, and I don't think I did do this because I didn't seem to offend the two ladies concerned. Don't do it in such a cavalier manner that you're going to offend people in the congregation. Right. Do it in a way that provokes them to ask the appropriate question, mm-hmm. right. to come up to you afterwards and say, well, "Okay, pastor, I was I was interested by what you said there. I found this helpful. Uh, why do you think I shouldn't have found it helpful? Mm-hmm. What what are the problems uh, which I'm missing?" At this mm-hmm. point, so that too is part of it. And, and Amy, I, I I would also, and again, to give a shout out for your book, which I think people ought to read. Thank you. Um, how, how do you want to challenge women to to, to be good uh, theologians? Well, like like you were kind of alluding to earlier, Todd. Um, there's no books out there really um, for Christian men on how to take out the trash, <laughs> but there are. There seem to be a lot of books out there. Um, for women on, you know, how to get skinny for God yeah. and, you know, how to do your food and laundry better. And, and you these have, a, you have a problem with that? <laughs> well, yes, I do. <laughs> um, uh, theology is a very right. practical thing. And what we believe about God shapes our decisions every day. So I think that um, pastors, elders, and just the church in general should be um, very encouraging to women to be growing in their theological studies and then also, you know, for the men and the women, maybe it'd be a good idea just to have some kind of workshop on um, discerning a book mm-hmm. so that uh, they could have some skills that they're yeah, equipped mm-hmm. with. You know, what kind of questions could they be asking while they're reading right. so that uh, they don't need to come running to the pastor with every right. book they get at the so-called Christian bookstore? Right. right. Good thought. Yeah. And and also to, to have the general uh, uh, perspective that uh, if— if your if the book you bought is in the Christian best-selling list, you probably shouldn't read it, right? 
I think that's generally, or if it has a picture on the front that looks as if it might have been painted by Thomas Kincaid, <laughs> probably worth avoiding uh, as well. Right. Here's a, to take us in a slightly different direction, here's a cultural phenomenon that I've noticed recently that I think plays into the broader question we're talking about in a problematic uh, way. That is, I've noticed that there is well, there's a growing uh, body of, of Christian literature written by women. That's not in itself a problem. What I've noticed is some of the, what one might call the, the tactics involved in this publishing. Uh, came to my attention most recently with a book, uh, Jesus Feminist, written by a lady called uh, Sarah Bessie. Even before the book was published, she'd put out a, a kind of blog post or a response to reviewers before the book had been reviewed, essentially saying, you know, Anybody who criticizes my book is a, is a chauvinist hater. Yeah. And it strikes me that we're in a, a cultural moment where any guy who writes a critical review of a woman's book is opening themselves to the charge of being a, a chauvinist woman basher in the way, you know, that the term racist can sometimes be mm. bandied around by people who, uh, who, who don't like being criticized. And this, I think, makes it problematic. Somebody asked me, do you want to review Jesus Feminist? And my immediate reaction was, no, I, you know, <laughs> I don't want the grief. It's not immediately part of my, my orbit. I don't want to be trashed by a million Twitter people saying <laughs> I'm some sort of woman-hating chauvinist simply because I've raised a criticism. What I want to say to, to women who are writing books is, if you don't want to be criticized, don't write a book. Mm. Part of writing a book is you put something out in the public domain that allows anybody out there, friend, foe, competent, incompetent, to have a piece of you. If you're not up to that, don't publish. Yeah. It will not go well for the church if what one might call identity politics mm. start getting in the way of open, clear critique of what's being written by left and right, right. at this point. Do you have any, do you have any speaking, then you're saying that we should all be able to do three pull-ups if we want to get <laughs> our book published. We should all there be able go. to do three pull-ups, and we should all be able to serve in combat zones in the future as well. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, Carl, I mean, I, sure. And, and I think that this has, I think it's linked to um, the aesthetic of of evangelicalism, which is uh, an aesthetic of niceness. And if you've said something uh, critical about something that someone has produced, particularly if they are a part of an aggrieved uh, group, then, then you've crossed a line that you shouldn't have crossed. And, and it, makes, it makes honest conversation really, really difficult. Yeah, and we know that's how the world operates. But right. the church, the stakes are so much higher. Mm -hmm. We really can't have the church operating right. on and, that. And, I, and I've gotten pushback um, in, a, in a previous life of mine on my criticism of Jesus calling um, in part along some of those very lines. And, and it reminds me of something you said earlier, Amy, um, be, because um, it's been explained. It was explained to me by others that, well, you know, this is a really good book for women. Um, you, you have to understand women need this sort of a book. And that seems really condescending yes, to me. Yes, it does. And, and you said something earlier that, you know, you're not really into devotional books. I, I agree. I haven't been able to read a quote unquote devotional book in a very long time uh, for probably a lot of the same reasons. And what I, you, you gave just kind of quickly, actually a really good piece of advice, which was the fact that you, you, you like to read commentaries and that's, how, how I wish more and more women would follow that example. Um, 
get a good commentary on a book of the Bible. Get a good mm-hmm. book that, that teaches, you know, that system of doctrine taught in the scripture. That's not just for us guys out here. Um, women are very capable of getting a hold of a good commentary if they want to study the book of Ephesians. Mm-hmm. Get, get, read things that will get you into the word and help you understand the word mm-hmm. more. And that makes us better helpers to our husbands as well. Um, Absolutely. We should be theologically sharpening them and encouraging, yeah. encouraging them as their helper. Right. Paul Wolf, who's, who's written a couple of books, he said something that really resonated with us at one point as he was talking about his own struggle with cancer some years ago and how just the consistent preaching of the word was so helpful for him. And, and, and he made this comment. He said that theology really paid off in, in, that, in his struggle, meaning the things that he had been taught from the word about who God is and what he's like, that's what really, quote, paid off for him in his suffering. Um, and, and we all talked about that afterwards, about just the, the power of being under the preaching of the word, and I think we could attach with that, the power of reading great stuff that teaches us the word also, instead of sentimental, you know, Whatever garbage. Carl called it. Yeah. Well, if I can draw the discussion to a, a close here, I want to recommend a book uh, just before we, we finish. Uh, I actually find Star Mead's book, Comforting Hearts, Teaching Minds, Family Devotions Based on the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, published by Presbyterian and Reformed, is an excellent devotional mm-hmm. volume. It's written by a woman. Uh, you don't have to be a family to use it. My wife and I have been using this for our uh, couple's devotion, if you like, in an evening. There are very good devotional books out there. Jesus Calling certainly is is pointing to something important, and that is the need to be consistently in the Word on a, mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis and to meditate upon the great truths that God has revealed to us. The tragedy of the book is there are, it's just not very good at doing that, and there are much better resources out there. So if you are listening in and wondering, well, you know, Truman, Pruitt, and Bird have said, this book's not good. What can I do that's better? I would suggest maybe having a look at Star Mead's mm. book, Comforting Hearts, yeah, Teaching absolutely. Minds, Family Devotions Based on the Heidelberg Catechism. Well, this has been uh, The Mortification of Spin, the podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, and join us next time for another casual conversation about things that count. This has been Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Remember to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, where you can download a free MP3 entitled, A Busy Man's Devotional Life. Mortification of Spin is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Alliance ministries include reformation21.org, Every Last Word with Philip Ryken, and events held from Florida to Sacramento. To learn more about the Alliance, visit AllianceNet.org or call 800-488-1888. We can only continue to bring you Mortification of Spin with your support. To make a donation, please visit MortificationOfSpin.org or call 800-488-1888. Please listen again and don't forget your free download.